0: If if you're a sports fan, uh, earlier this week, you might know of a 21-year-old guy named Jordan Spieth, uh, and he won the PGA Masters tournament. Now, those of you who might not know, the Masters is the biggest and most prestigious golf tournament in the world. Now, when this guy, Jordan, got interviewed after his win, they asked him about his secret. Does he have a secret to why he's playing so well? And he's an up-and-coming young player, but he doesn't necessarily hit the ball the furthest. Uh, He he can't swing the ball left and right like some other players can. And he's not exactly known for his putting. So how has he been so successful since turning pro? Everyone wants to know. And his answer is, I listen to Carl. Now, who is this Carl guy? Who, Who is Carl? Well, Carl is a caddy, and a caddy is one of those guys who walks around the golf course carrying a bag and telling you about the golf course, giving you tips and hints. And Carl's been doing this at the Masters since 1961. So, so Jordan explained that Carl's got such an intimate knowledge of the golf course that he is the one that, Carl, that Jordan listens to. Now, if the look Now, if the ball looks like it's going to roll to the right, but... Carl tells Jordan to putt to the left, Jordan will putt to the left. If Carl says hit along the tree line, because that's the best shot, then Jordan will hit along the tree line. Now, not many people know this guy, Carl, but Jordan Spieth attributed his master's win because he listened to Carl's advice. Now, if we were pro golfers, we'd probably listen to Carl as well. With so much experience... Jordan would be a fool not to listen to Carl. And, and golf is a great game. I, I enjoy it around myself. And, and Jordan, he got a lot from winning the Masters, the, the fame and the interviews and, and the money. But remember, this is just a game. This is just a game. So today, we're actually going to look at and hear about a people who didn't listen, a people who ignored... God's advice, and ignored his warning. These these people didn't just ignore a golf caddy, they ignored God Almighty himself. They were fools because they didn't listen. Now, if we don't want to make the same mistake, then we need to listen as well. We need to hear tonight what God has to say to us from the Bible. Now, as you know, we've been looking through the whole book of Jeremiah so far this year, and we've seen that, Jeremiah is God's mouthpiece. He's the one who's given God's advice to the people of Judah. And tonight we'll see that the advice that God gives through chapters 34 to 36, three chapters and three stories about the people of Judah. And these three stories actually have a common theme. The people of Judah don't listen or obey God. So all all three chapters show us that not listening or obeying God is at the heart of Judah. Now, hopefully you've already got your Bibles open at Jeremiah chapter 34. Uh, It's page 563, once again, in the small print Bibles, and 1,233 in the large print Bible. So let's have a look at our first story in Jeremiah chapter 34. Just a bit of background. This first chapter is set during the reign of King Zedekiah. And Zedekiah is the last king of Judah. Now, this happens in history around 587 BC. And it's at this point that the Babylonians are attacking Jerusalem. They're laying siege to the city of Jerusalem. And during the siege, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. God will give Jerusalem into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon, And he will burn it down. He will burn Jerusalem to the ground, God says. This is not good news at all. And poor Jeremiah has to tell this to King Zedekiah. Now, we've heard these last couple of months that Jeremiah, poor Jeremiah, he's repeatedly the bearer of bad news. He tells multiple kings that God is so angry with them. And here again, he's got to tell the king of Judah Judah, some more bad news from God. Have a look at verse 2, chapter 34, verse 2. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Go to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and tell him. This is what the Lord says. I am about to hand this city over to the king of Babylon, and he will burn it down. You will not escape from his grasp, but will surely be captured and handed over to him. You will see the king of Babylon with your own eyes, and he will speak with you face to face, and you will go to Babylon. God's told Jeremiah to break the bad news to Zedekiah. The city will be burnt down by the Babylonians and Zedekiah himself will be captured. Now, when Zedekiah hears this, naturally, he freaks out. He's given this terrible prophecy and he can see it coming true. The Babylonians, remember, are just outside the city walls, literally at his doorstep, trying to smash through. So what does Zedekiah do? Well, out of desperation, he has to act quickly and he acts swiftly. Zedekiah thinks that if God's the one who's told Jeremiah these terrible things, it's God that he's got to suck up up to. It's God that he's got to get on the good side of. So Zedekiah makes a covenant. He makes a promise along with the other Judeans to set all the slaves free. Now, setting slaves free, this was Jewish law to promote fairness Hebrew slaves were freed in their seventh year of service. And this law actually dates back to the time of Moses, about a thousand years before what's happening now. So you can find that in Deuteronomy in chapter 15. And because it's law, they should have been doing this anyway. It's God's law. But now the people of Judah think, look, maybe following God's law is a good idea. It might get us out of trouble now. And so they make a covenant. And covenants were made in the holy temple of Jerusalem and it was a really big deal to make this sort of promise. To make this sort of promise had to be done properly in the temple. But then we're told that the people who entered this covenant changed their minds. They changed their minds and took back their slaves again. Now, they made such a huge deal of showing they were obedient to God this big show in the temple, but then they go back on their word. They renege on their promise to God. And this shows what sort of people they were. Promise breakers, yes. Loose with their words, yes. But most importantly, they didn't care about obeying God. Just like their ancestors, they're cut from the same cloth. Disobedient and unwilling to Listen. Have a look at verse 10, chapter 34 in verse 10. So all the officials and people who entered into this covenant agreed that they would free their male and female slaves and no longer hold them in bondage. They agreed and set them free. But afterward, they changed their minds and took back the slaves they had freed and enslaved them again. Now these people, they they tried to please God by following his law, but really... They were pleasing themselves and they took back their slaves. So, what happens? God condemns them. He tells Jeremiah to say to this disobedient people, You haven't proclaimed freedom for your slaves, so I'll proclaim freedom to you, all right? I'll I'll proclaim freedom for you to either die by the sword, die by plague, or die by famine. It's your choice. God's so angry that he's almost sarcastic when he says, you guys get a choice, a choice to die one of three ways. Have a look at verse 14, chapter 34, starting from verse 14. Every seventh year, each of you must free any fellow Hebrew who sold himself to you. After he served you for six years, you must let him go free. Your fathers, however, did not listen to me or pay attention to me. Recently, you repented and did what's right in my sight. Each of you proclaimed freedom to his countrymen. You even made a covenant before me in the house that bears my name. But now you have turned around and profaned my name. Each of you has taken back the male and female slaves you had set free to go where they wished. You have forced them to become your slaves again. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You have not obeyed me. You have not proclaimed freedom for your fellow countrymen, so I now proclaim freedom for you, declares the Lord. Freedom to fall by the sword, plague, and famine. I will make you abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth. And so, this chapter, chapter 34, ends with God condemning the people because they were just like their ancestors. They failed to listen and they failed to obey God. Now, moving on to our next chapter, chapter 35 we're told that this is during the reign of King Jehoiakim, a different king now. And this king reigned about 20 years before Zedekiah, who we just read about. So we're going back in time, about 20 years, to 605 BC. And in this second story, we're introduced to a bunch of people called the Rechabites. Now, in the Bible, we're not told very much about who these people were, but we do know that they were related to the Israelites. And this goes back as far as the time of Moses, But remember, the Rechabites were not Israelites themselves. And for some reason, God tells Jeremiah, invite these Rechabites to have a drink of wine. So let's have a read from verse 1, chapter 35, verse 1. This is a word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord during the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Go to the Rechabite family and invite them to come to one of the side rooms of the house of the Lord and give them wine to drink. So I went to get Jazaniah, son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah and his brothers and all his sons, the whole family of the Rechabites. I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the room of the sons of Hanan, son of Igdaliah, the man of God. It was next to the room of the officials, which was over that of Marseiah, son of Shalom, the doorkeeper. Then I set bowls full of wine and some cups before the men of the Rechabite family and said to them, drink some wine. So Jeremiah follows God's command and he goes ahead and invites the Rechabites to drink wine in the Lord's temple. Now remember, we're not told very much about the Rechabites, but what we are told about them is that they were nomadic. So this means that they, you know, roamed around and they lived in tents. They were kind of lifelong campers, if you want to call them that. Now they weren't the kind of guests that would have normally been invited to the temple, the Jews probably would have been thinking, you know, these guys are weird and stinky. There's no way that they'd be walking around the temple. But here, Jeremiah paints a scene. A special room in the temple of Jerusalem, special bowls and cups in front of the Rechabites, wine ready to be guzzled down. Now, I don't know about you, I've never drunk wine from, from bowls before, uh, but when I think about it, You know, it's full-on party time when they get to serve you alcohol in bowls. Don't you think? These guys are ready to go. And so here we are. Now, imagine you're a Rechabite, uh, lowly, humble, in in this fancy room with Jeremiah the prophet offering you wine. What would you do? Now, what do you think they do? Well, we're told that the Rechabites refuse to drink. They don't want to drink the wine. There's this amazing wine, great hospitality, in the upper room, yet they refuse to drink. Now remember what sort of people these Rechabites were, nomads and tent dwellers. So Jeremiah inviting them to the temple would have been a big step, but offering them temple wine, you know, your, your kind of Penfold Grange aged wine in bowls, remember, And this is such a big deal. It's such a great privilege. But the Rechabites refused. They flat out said, no thanks. So we're left wondering why. Why do these Rechabites, these lowly tent dwellers, refuse such an attractive offer? This is their answer. We follow the command of our ancestor, Jonadab. Jonadab told his family not to drink wine. In fact, he also told them not to build houses or sow seeds or plant vineyards, but to live in tents. Jonadab wanted them to live as nomads, roaming the land without a proper dwelling or settling place. He wanted them to live differently from other people. And the most amazing thing is the Rechabites actually kept his commandments. Have a look with me, chapter 35 in verse 8. Verse 8, we have obeyed everything our forefather, Jonadab, son of Rechab, commanded us. Neither we nor our wives nor our sons and daughters have ever drunk wine or built houses to live in or had vineyards, fields or crops. We have lived in tents and have fully obeyed everything our forefather, Jonadab, commanded us. So we see the Rechabites fully obey everything their forefather commanded. Now going back to Jeremiah, we have to ask a question, Why did God tell him to do all of this? You know, what's the point of offering the Rechabites wine when they don't drink it? Well, we're given the story, we're given the answer as the story continues. After this wine incident, God tells Jeremiah to go back to the people of Judah and then ask them why they haven't obeyed God's words. God is exasperated and frustrated with his people. And so, He's used the Rechabites as a good example. The whole episode with the wine in the temple is an object lesson in obedience. God says, I've spoken to you, Judah, again and again, but you haven't got the lesson. I've sent prophet after prophet to warn you. In fact, Jeremiah's one of them. He's been telling you how angry I am, but you still won't listen. God is beside himself. Can you imagine how frustrating it would be? The Rechabites obeyed their forefather, but you Israelites, you won't even obey the Lord God himself. Have a look at chapter 35, verse 14. Starting from verse 14, Jonadab, son of Rechab, ordered his sons not to drink wine, and this command has been kept. To this day, they do not drink wine, because they obey their forefathers' command. But I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not obeyed me. Again and again I sent all my servants, the prophets, to you. They said, each of you must turn from your wicked ways and reform your actions. Do not follow other gods to serve them. Then you will live in the land I've given to you and your fathers. But you have not paid attention or... Listen to me. There's that word again. And so the result is in verse 17. Have a look at verse 17 with me. Therefore, this is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen. I am going to bring on Judah and on everyone living in Jerusalem every disaster I pronounced against them. I spoke to them, but they did not listen. I called to them, but they did not answer. So you see, that the problem, repeatedly, is that Judah does not listen. Judah does not obey. And so this second story shows a stark contrast between two types of people the Rechabites, who are the good example, and Judah. The Rechabites listen and obey, but Judah does not. Now to our third story in chapter 36. And we're still in the time of Jehoiakim's reign. And you might notice this chapter begins a bit differently from the other two. So in chapters 34 and 35, God tells Jeremiah to tell people things or or speak to them. So chapter 34, go and tell Zedekiah that... The city's going to burn down. Then chapter 35, go and tell the disobedient people from Judah about the obedient Rechabites. But in this chapter, God tells Jeremiah to write all his words down. He tells Jeremiah to take a scroll and write down what he said. So Jeremiah's got to write it all down from the beginning of his ministry under King Josiah up until this time under King Jehoiakim. So that's about a good 23 years' worth of preaching. Now, 23 years of preaching is actually a lot to write down. So, Jeremiah, being the resourceful guy that he is, gets his friend Baruch to write it for him. And Baruch faithfully starts writing this all on a scroll. Now, God's hoping that maybe, just maybe, when people read the scroll, after all this disobedience, maybe there's a different medium they can not just hear it, but read it. They might turn from their wickedness. Have a look at the first verse in chapter 36. Chapter 36, verse 1. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words I've spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah till now. Perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, each of them will turn from his wicked way, then I will forgive their wickedness and their sin." So God tells Jeremiah to write his words down now instead of speaking them, hoping that his people will turn from their wickedness. Now when Baruch's finished writing, Jeremiah tells him to go read it out in the temple. And Baruch's the one who has to do this because Jeremiah is banned from the temple. Now remember how I said Jeremiah was known as the bearer of bad news? Well, he kept on preaching about God's judgment and this meant that people banned him. Uh, They had enough of him and he ended up getting banned from the temple. So he sends Baruch to read out the scroll. Now when Baruch reads the scroll in the temple, this sets off a chain of events of fear. It sets people off to go and tell others because of how serious the message is. Baruch reads the scroll at the temple and Micaiah, a guy who's there, is scared. He's scared enough that he goes and tells the other officials and tells them what he's just heard. And the officials hear this, and they want to hear it for themselves. So they get Baruch, and he reads it to them as well. Now what happens when they hear it? They're scared as well. They hear these words of judgment, and they say to each other, we've got to tell the king. This is bad. Have a look at chapter 36, verse 13. Starting from verse 13. After Micaiah told them everything he had heard Baruch read to the people from the scroll, all the officials sent Jehudi, son of Nathaniah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushi, to say to Baruch, bring the scroll from which you've read to the people and come. So Baruch, of son, son of Neriah, went to them with the scroll in his hand. They said to him, sit down, please, and read it to us. So Baruch read it to them. When they heard these words, all these words, they looked at each other in fear And said to Baruch, we must report all these words to the king. So we've got Micaiah who listens and is scared. He goes and tells the officials. They hear it and they are scared as well. They have to tell the king. Now Jehudi, one of these officials, brings the scroll to the king's courtyard and starts reading it to the king Jehoiakim. Now... As Jehudi reads the scroll to him, every few columns, Jehoiakim cuts bits off the scroll and throws them into the fire. As it's being read to him, the king totally disregards the words. He shows utter contempt for the very words of God. Three of the officials even urge the king not to burn the scroll. They know how serious this is, what a heinous crime this is but he doesn't listen. And the king doesn't just throw them in the bin, but he throws them into the burning fire. Now, this is like symbolism. It's like saying, you know, I hate these words. It's total destruction. It's annihilation. It's like saying, curse the one who said these words and curse these words themselves. These things are never going to happen to me. King Jehoiakim doesn't ever want to see or hear these words ever again. And he shows no fear of God at all. And it's not just him, but also his courtyard servants. They react differently from Micaiah and the officials. They're not scared, they show no fear at God's words. Now, have a look at chapter 36, verse 22, starting at verse 22. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in the firepot in front of him. Whenever Jehudi had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the firepot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. Even though El Nathan, Deliah, and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. Jehoiakim, the king, and all his courtyard servants showed no fear, but they had contempt for God's word. They did not listen or obey God. Three chapters, three stories. Do you see a pattern here? In our first story, chapter 34, Zedekiah and the rich slave owners don't let the slaves free as they should. They don't listen to or obey God, just like their ancestors. In our second story, chapter 36, the Rechabites follow their forefathers' commands, but Judah does not listen to or obey God. And in our third story, here, we just read, the king of Judah, Jehoiakim, appointed to look after God's people, cutting up God's word and throwing it into a burning fire. Chapter 36 is the climax of these three stories, stories that progressively show Judah's refusal to listen and their sheer disobedience to God's word. Jehoiakim's ripping up of the scroll is, is kind of like the peak of their disobedience. It's the ultimate slap in the face for God. God still used many prophets, including Jeremiah, to warn the people over and over again, but they refuse to listen. They refuse to obey. By now, I hope that we see a big part of being God's people means listening to and obeying him. The repeated theme in these three stories highlight the importance of God's people to listen to and obey him. In fact, this is an attribute of God himself, Jesus Christ. In the Gospels, we have examples of Jesus listening and obeying the Father. The devil tem- tempted Jesus in the wilderness, but he didn't give in. He obeyed. The Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was executed, he cried out to the Father, Take this cup away from me, yet not my will be done, but yours. Jesus listened to the Father's will and obeyed. Without fault, he was obedient even to death on a cross. Now, what does this mean for us today? For us who call ourselves Followers of the listening, obedient Christ. Since Christ is obedient, if we call ourselves followers of him, then doesn't it make sense that we're obedient as well? In fact, I hope you agree with me that it makes no sense if we call ourselves Christ followers and we're disobedient to God. Are we living this kind of life? Some might say we're saved by grace, and while that's true... Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say we can presume on God's grace. Never does it say that because we're saved, we can live any way we like. In fact, in the New Testament, it says the opposite. Because we're saved, we can live holy lives. We should live holy lives. You see, we shouldn't take God's grace for granted. We shouldn't see it as, as cheap grace. Because that grace that God's given to us cost us so much cost Jesus his life so the question we can ask ourselves is are we growing to be more like Jesus are we growing in our listening and obedience we spent so far this year looking through the whole book of Jeremiah have we listened, have we really listened to God's word in Jeremiah this year as an example let's think about last week, Uh, it was only seven days ago Everyone remember Jeff's sermon? I'm sorry. It was about betting your house on the promises of God. I hope that starts to jog a few memories. It was about betting our house, literally, on Jesus. Maybe not literally. Not allowing other things to become masters, like money or our career or a relationship. We were challenged to make a call to follow Jesus first. How do you remember that? Has anything changed since last week? Have we done anything since hearing the sermon last week? Now, I think it's, it's such a blessing that we get to hear God's word preached week in and week out every Sunday. And it's great because we've got the, the evangelical heritage that is just so focused on God's word. But what worries me, what makes me anxious is that we're hearers of the word but not doers of it. We say we love the word. We read it all the time. We have weekly Bible studies to go in depth and even the sermon every week. If we didn't have the sermon one week, I'm sure there'd be protests. But what worries me is a thought that we come here and listen, we might get convicted all about it, then we walk out that door and forget it all. We forget about what God himself has said to us. Are we hearers of the word and not doers of it? The people of Judah heard, but they didn't do. King, King Zedekiah heard, but he didn't do. King Jehoiakim heard, and he definitely didn't do. The New Testament is so clear about this. It talks about the guy in the mirror And in your outlines, I've put a quote there from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 22 to 24. And I'll read it. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. As followers of Christ, do we forget what we look like? Do we forget altogether who we are and what Jesus did for us? I hope we can learn from Jesus, not just to hear, but to listen and obey God. Now, there are so many ways we can grow in listening and obeying God. You probably know your sins better than others. Just think about it. And one of the reasons why we might not confess it is because we're making excuses. I'm not that bad. That other guy is way worse than me. So I just want to challenge you on that. As a result of this series in Jeremiah, has anything changed in your attitudes and your actions? Are we really listening and obeying or are we ignoring God's word? Now, you've heard God's voice today in through the book of Jeremiah, but... I really hope you don't ignore it. Especially if you, call your, if you say you follow Christ, don't be like the people who didn't listen. Don't be like Zedekiah who only listened when it suited him. Don't be like Jehoiakim who was numb and dead to any conviction from God's word. Now, the golfer from before, Jordan Spieth, he listened to sound advice from a veteran caddy, uh, someone who's been doing it since 1961. And you'd agree, he'd be a fool if he didn't listen to someone with so much experience. But today in Jeremiah, we have the creator of the universe. God himself, who's got eternal knowledge, who's existed forever, speaking to us tonight. Let's not be fools and fail to listen. Let's learn from tonight's passage and not be disobedient like Judah. As followers of Jesus, let's listen and obey as christ does let's pray father in heaven thank you so much for uh, speaking to us through your word and father i pray that as uh, we've heard it we actually do what we've heard heard about tonight help us not be like judah or their disobedient kings lord Um, but help us to listen to and obey your word And as we go from our gathering tonight, Lord, I really ask that you give us wisdom in how we put into action some of the things that we're thinking about right now, things that we know we need to do, the right things, the godly things, the things of Jesus. Father, help us fight sin and throw off all that hinders so we can run the race marked out for us. And we ask you to help us to do this ongoing for the rest of the week day in, day out, and not just on a Sunday night. So thank you once again for Jesus' obedience, his obedience that won us our salvation, our glorious salvation. And Father, help us not take your grace for granted. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.